Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, much has been made of how the pandemic is accelerating trends that were already coming to the fore. For my guest today, that means pushing new boundaries in how she empowers women in the beauty and wellness industry through technology. Sharmadine Reed is the co-founder and CEO of BeautyStack, and she's using the power of the screen with the call to action of this, see it, like it, book it. And people are certainly liking what they see. With the brand having raised four million pounds in seed funding last year and fans including Serena Williams and Margot Robbie to name just two. Sharmadine, welcome to the show. Um, absolute pleasure to welcome you to Changemakers. Serena Williams, one of your fans, winner of 23 Grand Slam titles. She said, luck has nothing to do with it. Is that the Beauty Stack story? Is that the Sharmadine story? Yeah, I would agree. You know, people often say it's when preparation meets opportunity. And I would say that that would be accurate for my journey. I think that I over-prepared for everything. I was such a, um, you know, overachiever in my early years because that's what you had to do to survive. And was that overachiever um, to survive? Did that make you a workaholic? Did that make you somebody that was always on it in terms of the way that that they prepared for life i find the phrase workaholic funny because (laughs) hard working i i well i think if you're busy doing nothing you're a workaholic you're addicted to the um activity rather than the the outcome i would say that i work enough to get the job done but I never stop thinking about the world and if thinking about the world is part of my work then yeah I do it Mm. all the time but I wouldn't call myself a workaholic per se. Well you're certainly a very busy person I mean because you know some people would say that you've got a full-time job as an entrepreneur but you're a campaigner and an activist we're going to get on to that in a moment Um, and you're somebody that I I mean clearly (laughs) thinks a lot about what they do I mean I read I read your fantastic blog uh, for Medium, all the stuff I got wrong in 2019. Um, and I love this phrase. I know it's a roller coaster journey, but I didn't plan for needing a tighter seatbelt. I mean, tell us a little bit about what you've been learning on the way. Well, firstly, I want to say I'm not an activist. That's a very, very specific role that I know a lot of people like to put in their Instagram bio but I'm Mm. definitely not an activist. I would say that if there was anything on my epitaph, it would be a social reformer. That's the thing that I care massively about. Um, How, you know, the world changes over long-term through very deep cultural and structural changes in how we act. So, you know, in terms of needing a tighter seatbelt, I've just realized that if you push yourself to the, absolute highest or towards rather the absolute highest fullest potential you can be your acceleration of learning is what makes you need the tighter seatbelt it's so wild how different my life has changed from year to year to year the minute I decided what I wanted to do instead of doing what people wanted from me Um, and what I mean by that is because I'm mildly above average at most things I tended to do things because I could just because I could do it just because I was good at it and I I would do it um you know there was a big turning point in my life in 2013-14 when I looked back at my early 20s and I thought well what 
what do I actually want to do and what do I like doing? And I was like, I really love technology. I really love seeing how seeing women grow financially and mentally. Um, I really love building networks of people and creating space for them to meet. Like I like hosting, not owning, you know. And um, I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to focus on that. And once I decided that, it just became every single year I was learning completely different skills. Mm new skills but 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 really with no support and not learning how to ask for support so that's right. what made it hard so, so let, let's go back because you you strike me as a very exact and precise person in the way so i just take for example the the, the reaction to the word activist because you know I'm, I'm reading here about your work in art against knives your work as a campaigner for women your work on a campaign called Why I Can't Work. A lot of people would say that is the definition of an activist, right? What you see yourself, though, is as this reformer. So I want to go back before we get to today in terms of the young Sharmadine, in terms of what were, the, what were the vital ingredients, if you like, that, that made the person that has gone on to be this extraordinary entrepreneur? Let's go back to that younger person growing up, what you thought you were going to do, and what were the light bulb moments? When I was growing up, the ingredients that made me were complete curiosity. I was obsessed with reading, like obsessed. It's really funny, actually. Like I come from like a really big um, Seventh-day Adventist family. And every time I'd go to an auntie's house, you'd have an obligatory bookshelf of Bible stories, Reader's Digest, Encyclopedia, and I would just sit and read them all while everybody was nattering on or watching Coronation Street. Actually, when I went back to um, Wolverhampton a couple of weeks ago, one of my cousins reminded me of a story. I completely forgot, actually. He was saying how I didn't come home from school one day and everyone was looking for me and they thought I'd gone missing, um, you know, and I was running around running around the streets looking for me and it turns out I just got locked in the school library because I was reading in the corner and I they locked me in there and I didn't even notice uh, <laughs> and, uh, so you escaped in, in into books did you I mean is that does that did that awaken the kind of creativity in you do you think in terms of what what the reading did was it did it awaken your imagination no I think what I awakened my imagination was diving into magazines so I loved books just for acquiring information about things. Um, I just thought the world was so fascinating. I loved the Osborne children's encyclopedias. I just thought they were so beautiful. So knowledge is power. Too many people talk without facts. If I don't have facts for something, I won't talk about it. I will give... And there are no fake facts on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give a logical point of view based on all the data that I have on something peripherally or exactly but I tend not, I, I like to know what I'm talking about or dealing with so I love having information but with magazines the creativity was like a window to another world so it was like you opened a magazine spread I used to read Vogue and Elle when I was like 12 13 years old and I'd be like wow and obviously for me, that was all about London. I was like, I have right. to get to London. 
And so that was visual, was it? That was the kind of like, I want to go to this city. The streets are paved with gold. It's going to be great. I'm going to grow my career. Is that what, is that what those magazines no, are doing? No, not at all. <laughs> well, not what at was all. it then? That's... <laughs> it was like to be part of something important. You know, I never thought the streets were paved with gold. I thought I watched MTV as a kid. I was a very pop culture kid. And, um, you know, I loved watching The Big Breakfast. I thought Channel 4 in the 90s was some of the best TV. Like, it's really formative so for me. So it was me. a cool city. And um, it was just cool. I wanted to be part of something that was, like, being beamed out across the world. I didn't want to be someone on the receiving end of the beam. I wanted to be the beam. And I just thought, well, London, you know, for art and media and fashion and culture, like, that's what I really cared about. And, and if we fast forward it to today, um, I've been looking at Beauty Stat, I've been looking at your new office. It's, it, you know, in terms of under normal circumstances, this is a packed office of bright people doing great work. Tell us now about Sharmadine, the entrepreneur, in terms of how that part of your life manifested, how that part grew from this clearly fact-loving, creative, cool young person that has come to London to build their future. Let's go into the story of the entrepreneur. So I always liked starting stuff and I always liked, um, if I could see a better way to do things, I'd just go ahead and do it, even if it was just for myself and my friends. And I guess my entrepreneurial journey started proper when I made War Magazine, which was a photocopied fanzine that I made in my second year of university so I could teach myself the computer programs. I wanted to give myself a project to do so. And making this magazine was the first time that I, you know, of my own accord, produ produced something um, as a completed collaborative thing. When I made this magazine in my bedroom, I would then give it out to all of these girls that I'd see on the street. Then I made a blog for it. And then when I graduated, I was living two lives, essentially. One, where, which was my fashion career, which was what I did my degree with, styling around the world. And then the second life was like this very hip-hop streetwear magazine vibe. And at some point, <clears throat> I was like... Wouldn't it be cool if we had a nail salon? Because part of hip hop culture for women was getting your nails done in like really graphic print designs. And this was 11 years ago now. So nail art was not cool. And um, I just thought that it would be really cool to have a different type of nail salon. There were like, you know, you could go to the Dorchester and pay 70 pounds for a manicure, or you could go to like Julie's Nails in Brixton High Street. And then I felt there was like nothing in between and nothing for the new creative class that was all around me from my degree and living in Dalston in London, um, you know, which was a bit like what Williamsburg might feel like or Silver Lake in LA. And I opened the salon and it just took off and I didn't realise that I was running a business because I didn't really have... The way that my mind works, right, is if I have an idea, I formulate the idea all the way to its end. Mm. Like my brain will be like, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be cool to have a nail salon? And I can paint the walls black and then I can get this kind of desk and I'm going to hire these girls. And then it's going to be featured in this magazine. And then we're so going to get like 20 of you, them. So you can see yeah, around corners. Yeah, so you I can really see what it, 
Right. I mean, because a lot of entrepreneurs yeah. are like that is that they've got a very visual sense of what it is, what their, what their goal is. And when they vision it, it's more likely to happen. Is it, I mean, bring us up to date with, because with, obviously Beauty Stack became the next evolution of War Nails in terms of what, what you've now created and what has just received four million pounds worth, worth of investment funding. I'm interested to know what takes you from, I guess, the young startup entrepreneur into that scale up and that new, new proposition. Well, we're definitely not a scale up yet. We've, we are still, um, particularly after the pandemic, which has essentially put us a year behind, which in startup years is like, you know, your entire life cycle. Okay. Um, <laughs> So I guess the jump was from WAR to Beauty Stack was that with WAR, it was that real thing that I was good at it and people loved it. And even now people still message me about it, but it wasn't where I wanted my life to be. I didn't enjoy physical space, like uh, running retail property or property of any sort. I didn't like logistics in terms of hiring a workforce of um, young girls like en masse there were all these things that I didn't like and that's when I said earlier I took my time out and I thought well what what is it that I actually enjoy doing um, which then led me to beauty start because as I said previously I love the technology I love seeing women earn more money and I love creating space even if that space is digital and not physical mm. so I came back to London after my uh, brief break in Wolverhampton I opened a brand new salon um, position myself as a as a person who would use technology to push the booking experience forward for beauty so I experimented with VR and with chatbots and all kinds of things and then I essentially was like while it was an accidental business that was a really strong brand it wasn't a strong business because the unit economics of a salon they give you a really you know decent uh, profit for a single person but it's not a, something that you can scale very easily without doing all of the things that I said I don't enjoy doing right so I was like how can I ensure that I do beauty stack and scale it in the way that's proper and I was like well that's through software so I spent basically two maybe three years hardcore because you know I like the facts hardcore <laughs> researching technology business models startup culture how to do a lean startup. I literally read every single book, listened to every single podcast. I just schooled myself on this entire new industry that I, I knew from as a consumer, but not as a creator. Mm. So then I just got on with it. Found my co-founders, Dan Woodbury and Ken Lilobo, who, you know, still with me now. We're like little brothers and sisters, actually. They're like my two big brothers. They're my engineers. Um, and we just got building and it's been crazy, to be honest. Now, what I want to do though, is that, I mean, so this is, this is the story of the entrepreneur and it's a story that I think a lot of people that are running businesses listening to this would, would really re reflect on and identify with, but there is another side to you, um, which, you know, and I'm, I'm going to persevere if you don't mind with this word activist, because I see, <laughs> I see that a lot of what you are about is about empowerment about business as a force for good business as a tool to make change now when you've talked about um beauty you also talk about it in an empowering way i've got a quote from you here for me beauty services are empowering because they allow women who contribute massively to the workforce to have flexible meaningful social work that's critical let's talk about the critical explain to us about how you're using business to affect change 
The thing is, Michael, I see words as weapons and words are so important and the way you use words is so important. So I'm always really careful when I can with my words. And the, the thing about the word activist for me is that an activist, I, I view, do you know what? I really want to get my phone and Google what an activist is now so I have a dictionary definition of well, it. Well, hold on, I'm going to do um, it while you're interviewing. You keep yeah, you do it. I'm Googling because what what I'm what I'm saying is to me an activist is someone who will do whatever it takes on the ground and this is the key difference like on the ground to make like change instant change that's how I view it what does the dictionary say it says a person who campaigns to bring about political or social change um so I, I think we can meet in the middle yeah I but guess. that's not what I do do you know why <laughs> that's not what I do the, the Bring Beauty Back campaign that we did this summer was the first time that I'd actually run any formal campaign. Right, so tell, me, us, tell us quickly I, what that is, though. I, so for listeners are saying, what's, what's the Bring Back Beauty campaign? That was to get the show back on the road. Very quickly, frame the campaign within your, your view of, of life, I guess. So with my view, it was that the government had made um, decisions on which industries were allowed to reopen during COVID lockdown and I felt that the decisions in terms of beauty were very misunderstood and misogynistic. I think that they didn't have a real understanding of the industry and understanding how it worked and also because many of the women in beauty, 98% of the industry is self-employed and many of them have been employed for less self-employed for less than three years. Mm. So they weren't actually able to access any of the government funding. It just meant that these girls who had rents and kids and, you know, they just didn't have any income and it was crazy. Um, so I just felt that, the, you know, we needed to show the government what people were going through. So we did a user-generated content video with a company called Scene It, where all of these girls all over the UK recorded their setup, their feelings, um, what they were going through, their financial situations. We compiled them into a video and we shared that around the internet. And that, that was the only type of campaigning I've ever done. Mm. And the reason uh, is, Michael, right? I want to be really clear about this. The reason is that for a long time, I'll never forget the student riots when the tuition fees went up. I was the last school year to um, have cheaper tuition. And it was, I think, the next school, the next year. And I remember the riots in central London. And it was at that point that I realised that I would never be a protester okay, or a writer. So, but maybe that's the word, I, the protester. Think, yeah, that you don't. Yeah, because I think that I can create change through business. It's just that everyone from a protester and activist to a business person, everyone needs to push in the, or pull in the right direction. Right. So, and I would say that my role is through business. Through business. So, so could, we, could we agree on the word campaigner maybe then as a, as a more positive version of that? Because, you know, the thing that I, I feel about, about the march that you led, what, you know, the hashtag, what, why can't I work, is that you said a really interesting thing there, that, that you know, that, that, that you're in an industry that the men in parliament don't consume, they don't understand. I mean, you are spreading awareness and making change more likely through, through knowledge. And I think, you know, I, I'm also, you know, I think when you read about your, your, the words jump off the page, you know, everything um, from 
diversity in technology through to the need to create fairness in the place of work. I mean, you're a person who, who really does want to get out there and make a better world in terms of what you're doing. Or certainly that's how I read it. And I mean, that you're motivated by, um, by things above and beyond just, just the day-to-day of running a business. Because I think it makes good business. Because I literally think it makes good business. And I think that, you know, would I, would I be doing this if I didn't have a business related to it? But a lot of people would agree with you. You know, I, I interviewed Paul Lindley, the Alice Kitchen founder, and he said, look, business, business is the tool. Business helps me affect the change that I want to see. Exactly. So, so I think this is the, this is the Charmadine I'm trying, to, I'm trying to sort of unpick a bit in terms of getting an understanding of kind of like the daily motivation, a phenomenally busy person running a business, but also wants to be a change maker. Okay, so what, what I will say to you is, I think that my unique intersection is a really interesting place from which to affect change. As in, I have a very active and engaged millennial and Gen Z audience. I have the ear of people in power. You know, I have the ear of people in technology. I have a very wide ranging. So I think I can make use of that to help people understand how the world could be better but if I you got you know I want to be clear that like I always think about this like in terms of altruism in terms of altruism there is no real act that is purely selfless right I have a business and good business or, or that business being successful relies on women having more money and more power so it's in my interest and the interests of my business to do that. If I didn't have my business, I would support activists. I've always thought of myself as a patron. I'd always be, I'd always be the people who'd be like behind the scenes being like, well, this is how you write a press release. This, let me fund you for, so that you don't have to work for a month so that you can do the work that you need to do. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? I this do, is the ro- but, I've all, but I've always seen this role for myself. I've always seen myself as the person who would push behind. But just to rewind for a second, I mean, you made the point that a more empowered, um, you know, marketplace, a more empowered group of women that become more, I guess, conscious consumers of the things that they buy actually creates a better business conditions for you. And actually, a lot of people will be sat there listening, going, exactly, that actually, you know, your purpose shouldn't be abstract from profit it actually they should live in a much more circular way together. in the way that they drive and, and they drive each other together now it, it it kind of brings me on um to your values i mean your 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 top tip for life um on the lockdown list that accompanies this episode is set your intention know your values let's start to bring this interview to a close through those values give us a sense of Sharmadeen in terms of the values that inspire you the values that make you the person that you are the values that inspire me and the value that i have to keep coming back to like in a you know a stretched elastic band will always have to bounce back is authenticity because um it's very easy for me to get lost in uh all of these different little bubbles that i move in and 
I guess, you know, even, even the idea of like, um, it's, it's why I'm very controlled about what I think of myself or who I think I am, because I know that it's very easy to get sucked into, uh, the hype and the fame of being a tech entrepreneur or an activist or a super mom or a busy working you know what i mean it's so you don't like labels i know you don't like labels <laughs> i don't i don't i don't like labels because the problem <laughs> is you start to believe you start to believe someone else's hype about yourself and ultimately at the end of the day i know that my value like being authentic to me and finding who i am and the things that are unique to me and touched by the outside world is something that I reflect on quite often. Mm. Like I spend a lot of time thinking, do I really love ancient Greek culture or do I love it because classics is like bougie? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Do you I'm... really do you really love moldy Stilton cheese, the taste of Stilton? Do you really love it? Or do you well... love it because that's what's done? It's the dumb I, thing. I, I think I really love it until I think what goes into it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it, look, I mean, it strikes me. Last question. I mean, look, it strikes me that you know that that you think through every angle. I mean, I've got the pleasure of actually being able to see you on this interview, and <laughs> as I'm asking you the the questions, you, I can see this triangulation of really thinking through the detail about how you want to respond to it. In terms of how that, <laughs> and, and, and actually what I see also is this kind of like entrepreneur, which is this kind of like, this, this like, you know, really outstanding combination of being the ultimate fact checker. Um, and yet this great romantic, you know, this great kind of like positive optimist that wants to affect change in what they do. In terms of where you feel in, in this year of all years, 2020, where it's calling on so many of our individual qualities to just tread the steps of life, how does a year like this, um, I guess, meet those qualities, those values, that personality in terms of how you're finding um, this year and how you look to the future? I think this year has made me realise more than ever that the work that we do and the work that all people who work towards gender equality um, do is needed more than ever. You know, in times of a crisis, that really is when the divide widens and widens and widens. And the situation where as I said, I felt that women were left behind by the UK government, um, really reminded me that we're not in control of the lives that we live to an extent. We, we are still so powerless. And I find that really frustrating. I find it actually dull. I'm like, this is boring now. <laughs> How, it's, it's so boring that we're still so powerless. What the hell? Um, so, you know, it just this year has really made me think that it's not about, you know, doing, uh, you know, like I said, a campaigning or activism for me or doing anything that is short term. For me, it's really like, how can I get into the positions of power that can help decide the way that women are treated by the public officials? 
that really, really um, became apparent to me when I just realised we were at the behest of government rules in terms of being able to work mm. or not. That really upset me. I, and Sharmadi, I think that's an interesting place actually to, to finish because it feels to me like 2020 has, be, has become a year where a lot of your, I, I guess, that, that, that real desire, you can see the change you want to affect, see the change you want to be and want to make. And I think that, you know, for a Shay like Changemakers, that, that of course is exactly about how you are part of that, how you can take um, control, how you can um, make positive steps in, in your life. And thanks, therefore, to you, Sharmadeep, as a, a really outstanding guest. I mean, so much more than an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, an entrepreneur plus, plus, plus. I mean, I think I love that idea of know your intentions and knowing your values. I think it shone through. Um, I think you've put me on notice about no fake facts. Hope we'd, hopefully we didn't have any. <laughs> Thinking it through and making the change. And I love, see it, like it, book it, and I've loved it. It's been an inspiration for Changemakers. So if you've been listening and you've been inspired, why not listen, like, act with a rating for this episode? Thanks for Sharma Dean, and we'll see you next time on Changemakers. Changemakers.